Democrats have gone into a fit of hysteria over the Russians disrupting our political system by throwing Democrats into a fit of hysteria. This represents a change for Democrats who until now were friendly to the Russians and referred to Russian leader Vladimir Putin as Vlad, or Vladdy Waddy, or Daddy Vladdy, or just Cutie Pootie, or maybe Pootie Cutie. I always get those two confused. Anyway, you'll remember that former Secretary of State Hillary something or other, attempted to reset our relations with Russia in 2009 by personally bringing the Russians a giant red button that was supposed to say reset on it in Russian, but when properly translated, actually said, for a good time, contact Monica at www.ovaloffice.gov. The attempt at detente failed when Monica responded to the Russians that she is not that kind of girl, depending on what the meaning of is is. Also the meaning of kind, also girl. But anyway, the Russians struck out with her, and in frustration decided to annex Crimea, and basically the whole enterprise ended in disaster. Barack Obama, meanwhile, scoffed at Mitt Romney in 2012 when Romney called Russia our biggest geopolitical foe. Obama said, quote, ha, 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 you silly Mitt Romney, you are just a billionaire businessman, whereas I am a student of history and know that Russia was destroyed in the Cold War and is now a frozen wasteland that can never trouble us again, so who looks like an arrogant buffoon of a stupid fool now? Unquote. But now Democrats claim the Russians hacked into the DNC's computers by tricking John Podesta into clicking on a link named reallybigboobs.com. Podesta says he thought it was a list of New York Times op-ed columnists, but it turned out to be a series of videos of well-endowed Russian women reading his emails. These emails showed Podesta to be a cynical, uncaring political hack willing to emotionally manipulate blacks, women, and gays in order to expand government power. In other words, he's a Democrat. The voters were so shocked to discover that Democrats were Democrats, they voted for a Republican who was a Democrat in the hope he wouldn't turn out to be a Democrat. Barack Obama briefed senior members of Congress on the Russian threat as long ago as September, and the president and Congress immediately did absolutely nothing. But then Hillary Clinton lost the election, then lost again when Democrats demanded a recount, then lost yet again when Democrats tried to influence the Electoral College, then hilariously lost even another time when Democrats in Congress tried to stop the approval of the electoral vote, which unfortunately seems to be the last time she can lose, no matter how enjoyable it is for the rest of us. Obama and the Democrats are now demanding something be done about Russia right this minute, a cheap ploy to distract Trump from working on his agenda, but what Republican could be stupid enough to fall for that? Oh, wait. Silly question. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo, birds are winging, also singing hunky-dunky-dee-doo, ship-shaped ipsy-topsy, the world is a zing it's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing, oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, as we speak, Senator Jeff Sessions is on Capitol Hill being grilled by senators. Uh, we don't know what will happen, and that's the thing. Right about now, nobody knows what is going to happen in the next months and even years. And with the uncertainty, many Americans are becoming con increasingly concerned about their value, the value of their money, the security of their savings. And that's why we've been talking about Birch Gold. The Federal Reserve is printing money. There's going to be some inflation. We don't want inflation eating away at the savings that you 
and I have worked so hard to earn. That's why right now is a perfect opportunity to secure your hard-earned money by moving into precious metals. Precious metals historically keep their value more than cash. The company we trust with precious metals purchases is Birch Gold Group. Birch Gold sells physical precious metal for your own possession and will ship the metals right to your front door. And right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move your IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver. It's perfect for those who want to ensure that their hard-earned retirement savings are protected from inflation and any more stock market crashes like the one that's coming any minute now. Birch Gold Group has a long-standing track record of continued success, thousands of satisfied clients, countless five-star reviews, and it's got an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You can count, contact Birch Gold Group now to request a free information kit on physical precious metals. It's a comprehensive 16 page kit and tells you how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can legally move your IRA and 401k out of risky stocks and bonds into a precious metals IRA. To get this no-cost, no-obligation kit, go to www.birchgold.com slash Andrew. That's www.birchgold.com slash Andrew. That's how they know I sent you. You can get the kit, no obligation. It is free. All right, so now it begins. This is the moment when we're going to find out whether the old Democrat playbook, which has been in in a play for decades now, is going to stand up against the new Trumpian politics. Jeff Sessions, 20-year senator from Alabama, is on the Hill. Uh, he is Trump's choice for attorney general, and they are grilling him right now. Here are the Democrats talking. Robert Bork's America is a land in which women would be forced into back-alley abortions, blacks would sit at segregated lunch counters, rogue police could break down citizens' doors in midnight raids, and school children could not be taught about evolution. Writers and artists would be censured at the whim of government. Okay, now many of you may be saying that's not a living Democrat, that's a dead murderer, and it is a dead murderer. Okay, maybe manslaughter. He didn't mean to drive the girl into the drink and leave her there to die while he changed his clothes and established an alibi. But that is just a reminder of the way the Democrats work. 1987, right? Robert Bork, an originalist judge who didn't like Roe v. Wade, thought the Constitution does not have a right to privacy, which the court had deduced, and they just went at You just heard that. I mean, you know, there was going to put blacks, but you're going to put you all back in chains, as Joe Biden later put it. This is the way these guys operate. And, and remember, by the way, the Republicans ran for their lives. They were not used to this. They know the press is against them. They know the press will report everything as the Democrats tell it and make and will not back up what the, the Republicans' defense. And even Reagan kind of left Bork hanging once the committee uh, rejected him, and it looked like he, he was assured of losing. Bork was so ticked off about this, he ultimately resigned even the uh, appellate court seat that he had. He was not protected. We saw it again with Anita Hill. That was, you know, Anita Hill, that Anita Hill hearing with uh, Clarence Thomas uh, for the Supreme Court, uh, that was what turned Andrew Breitbart into a conservative, because he just thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, I thought I thought the Democrats were for black people. The thing about <clears throat> that hearing, because they still debate this, HBO just did 
you know, backing up the press, backing up the professoriate, HBO, Hollywood, backing up with uh, a, a story, a drama about the Anita Hill hearings that turned her into a heroine and made Clarence Thomas look like a bad guy. Even if what Anita Hill had been saying was true, it was no reason not to appoint the man to the Supreme Court. Since then, by the way, they have been relentlessly saying that all Clarence Thomas, because Clarence Thomas doesn't talk a lot during the cases, that all he is is, you know, following Antonin Scalia around all this. All completely untrue. Clarence Thomas has a very, very definitive originalist philosophy. It's to the right of Scalia's. It's more originalist than Scalia's. He's written some very important decisions. They never let him write the main decisions because they think he's nuts, basically, but because they think he's so far right. But but, you know, he's an important, brilliant man. And Anita Hill had no business. That was, you know, that was literally Ted Kennedy, a guy who dropped, you know, drops his girlfriends into the drink and leaves them there to drown, is questioning Clarence Thomas on whether he made some untoward remarks toward Anita Hill, a woman he supported and promoted and who followed him from job to job because he was so helpful to her. But maybe he made a couple, maybe, maybe he made a couple of untoward remarks, possibly, uh, you know, I don't know whether he did or not, but but it was it was absolutely nothing. It was abs- absolute nonsense. And this is the way they do it. Now, the problem is, on the other side, on the other side, the narrative sweeps away any kind of malfeasance on the part of Democrats. Remember, <clears throat> Robert Byrd, longest serving U.S. senator, started a Ku Klux Klan chapter in the 1940s. Robert Byrd wrote this to his senator in Mississippi. About, it was during the war, right, during World War II. And Robert Byrd wrote, I shall never fight in the armed forces with a Negro by my side. Rather, I should die a thousand times and see old glory trampled in the dirt, never to rise again than to see this beloved land of ours. <laughs> Crikey. Then to see this beloved land of ours become degraded by race mongrels, a throwback to the blackest specimens from the wilds. That was Robert Byrd. There are more buildings named after Robert Byrd than there are buildings named Building. You know, this is what Robert Byrd basically did while he was in the Senate. He had things named after him. Now, I just want for one minute, one minute to imagine any Republican, if he if he was 12 years old, if he was two years old, having those words, I would rather see old glory trampled in the dirt, never to rise again, than to see us degraded by race mongrels. That's what Robert Byrd wrote, okay? Here's Bill Clinton talking about that. There are a lot of people who wrote these eulogies for Senator Byrd in the newspapers, and I read a bunch of them, and they mentioned that he once had a fleeting association with a Ku Klux Klan, and what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. He was a country boy from the hills and hollows of West Virginia. He was trying to get elected. And maybe he did something he shouldn't have done, and he spent the rest of his life making it up. And that's what a good person does. There are no perfect people. There are certainly no perfect politicians. <laughs> so that's his proof. The, the fact that he wouldn't fight in World War II if he had to fight with Negroes, it, makes, it proves what a good person he is. It proves, you know, it proves the Democrat narrative. That proves what a good person is. And here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing. I agree with Bill Clinton. People do stupid things when they're young. They, you know, you, you do have to let people go. You let, have to let people change. Of course you do. But... What are they going to get on Jeff Sessions? They, in 1986, Sessions was uh, up for a federal judgeship, and they di- they borked him. They did the same thing they did to Bork, and they pulled out this stuff. 
comments he's, he was supposed to have made, jokes he was supposed to have made, one of which was pretty funny. He said something I, you know, I, I didn't mind the Ku Klux Klan until I found out they were in favor of smoking pot. Uh, <laughs> that was a pretty, pretty good line, actually. So, was, you know, and they, and they had all this stuff. He, he prosecuted a case, a voter fraud case, where uh, some blacks were trying to fraudulently uh, register. He claims, and I actually believe this is true, that he was trying to protect a black candidate that these guys were voting against. But we all know there's voter fraud, especially on the... And that case fell apart, and he admitted that it fell apart. He also, as we've mentioned before, he prosecuted a Ku Klux Klan murderer literally into the ground. When he was state attorney general, he prosecuted him, got the death penalty, made sure the death penalty was carried out. And what followed from that ended, basically, the Ku Klux Klan and his state. He has been a... Con the thing about... The thing about um, Sessions is they all know him, see? And he's a very, very straight arrow guy, and he's a very good guy, and they all know it. And so they're going to have a hard time blacklisting him. They say that Cory Booker, in an, an unprecedented act as a senator, is going to testify against a senator. Uh, that's going to be kind of strange. But let's hear some of the stuff that's going on on the Hill. There, he is being asked about Trump's plan. And remember, Trump's plan has changed. Trump at one point said, we've got to stop all Muslim immigration. He has changed that to make sure there's severe vetting for people coming from countries with a lot of terrorism. So here is uh, Sessions Cut 14 being asked about that. Do you believe, do you agree with the president-elect the United States can or should deny entry to all members of a particular religion? I have no belief and do not support the idea that Muslims as a religious group should be uh, denied admission to the United States. We have great Muslim citizens who have contributed in so many different ways. And America, as I said in my remarks at the occasion that we discussed it in committee, are great believers in religious uh, freedom and the right of people to exercise their religious beliefs. See, this is now, you know, a long time since 1986, these guys have learned the playbook. They know what's coming down the pike. They know it. And just listen to the dishonest way the question was asked. Do you believe with the president-elect? The president-elect has already said that he didn't believe that. We know Trump goes off at the mouth. We know he's got a big mouth and he shoots from the hip and all this stuff. And he changed that. He changed what he said as he told them during the debates. It has morphed into the kind of vetting that Obama was already doing, by the way. Obama only canceled that vetting program just before, just after Trump was elected, so Trump would have to reinstate it and they could all scream about what a bigot he is. I mean, the whole thing is a kabuki show to make Republicans always the same, same thing. You know, Harry Reid comes out and says, oh, yeah, you know, uh, Obama can win an election because he's a light-skinned Negro without a Negro dialect and all this. And that's fine because the narrative just sweeps them away. It sweeps their guilt away. But the Republican guilt is always out there. So here is another and really interesting exchange, I thought. Uh, on Roe v. Wade, because this has always been the big thing, especially with Supreme Court nominees. But here also is a guy who's going to be enforcing the law. Here is the uh, the horrendous <laughs> Diane Feinstein uh, asking him about that. You have referred to Roe v. Wade as, quote, one of the worst colossally erroneous Supreme Court decisions of all time, end quote. Is that still your view? It is. I believe it's a it violated the Constitution and uh, really attempted to set policy and not follow law. Uh, it is the law of the land. It has been so established and settled for quite a long time, and it deserves respect, and I would respect it and follow it. 
So fair enough. Fair enough. That's his job as attorney general. He's got to do it. You know, the Democrats know they've got something on this because most people think there should be some abortion. Most people in America think there should be some abortion rights, and they associate that with Roe v. Wade because the Democrats and the press have made sure that those two things are associated. But, of course, there is no association. All Roe v. Wade did was take your right, take away your right to set law in your state, in your area, uh, which, of course, the Constitution should almost guarantee you there's no right to abortion in the Constitution. There's no right. You know, here's here's a funny thing. I, I actually disagree with the originalists on this. There are rights in the Constitution that are not enumerated. And so the, the right to privacy does seem to me to be suggested in the Constitution. How the right to privacy gets translated, the right to privacy may well get translated to not having not allowing states to make laws about the kind of sex you have in your home. That makes perfect sense to me. But how the right to privacy takes away the right to life of the baby, that is what is a little confusing. So we're going to have to say goodbye to people on Facebook. Hey, before I say goodbye to people on Facebook and YouTube, let me remind you that tomorrow is mailbag day. If you are a subscriber at thedailywire.com, you can send in your questions. We will answer them. Our answers will change your life entirely. You will actually turn into another person, possibly a different gender who knows what could happen to you? If you are not a subscriber, shame, shame on you. Shame on you. It's a lousy eight bucks a month. What does it take? Subscribe to thedailywire.com. Come on over to the site and listen to the rest of the show. I forgot about mailbag tomorrow. Yeah, we got to get some uh, get in those questions. Yeah, woo -hoo, where's the woohoo? You guys are so this is this is uh, God. Ah, you see what I'm working with, people? This is terrible. All right, let us listen. So here's the racist thing being brought up. Uh, you, you knew they're going to bring this up. You know, Sessions, white-haired Southern guy. You got to get the racist stuff in there, and they're going to bring this up. And of course, the press. You know, the press is running stories. I saw one. I think it was on a the ABC News website. They're running stories like the fact that he was turned that he did not get the judgeship in 86 is proof positive that makes the slanders that were uh, said against him and many of them were slanders by disgruntled employees by disgruntled colleagues these these slanders that were said against them have some kind of resonance because they worked but these things worked in 1986 because Republicans hadn't caught on yet that Democrats will say anything, tell any lie, sell any narrative to keep Republicans out of positions of power. Now they know. Now they've got it. So here's Sessions being asked about being a racist. Cut 18. When I came up as a United States attorney, I had no real support group. I didn't prepare myself well in 1986. And there was an organized effort to caricature me as something that wasn't true. And it was very painful. I didn't know how to respond and didn't respond very well. I hope my tenure in this body has shown you that the caricature that was created of me was not accurate. Uh, it wasn't accurate then and it's not accurate now. And uh, I just want you to know that as a Southerner who actually saw discrimination and uh, have no doubt it existed in a systematic and uh, powerful and negative way uh, to the people, great millions of people in the South, particularly of our country, I know that was wrong. I know we need to do better. We can never go back. I am totally committed to maintaining the freedom and equality that this country has to provide to every citizen, and I've, uh, I will assure you that that's how I will approach it. 
And I should mention, by the way, that there are protesters there. They're screaming at every other word he says, close Gitmo, this and that. And it, they just look like idiots. I mean, they're really doing. But, but the, the thing I want to point out here is that Donald Trump has been, with his usual panache and classy flair, has been saying things like calling Chuck Schumer a clown and a chief clown and Schumer's clowns and all this stuff. And, of course, the press reacts to this. Uh, here is uh, Chris Wallace talking to Reince Priebus about it. Two, cut two. Why on earth call Chuck Schumer a clown? How's that going to help you? Well, for, for, first of all, Chuck Schumer and President-elect Trump have a long, long relationship together. Donald Trump has helped Chuck Schumer uh, in his runs for Senate. Donald Trump has had massive fundraisers for Chuck Schumer uh, at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, many times before they have a personal relationship and I got to tell you I mean when Senator Schumer says that he's going to he's going to allow the vacancy in the Supreme Court to take place as long as he wants and he's going to hold up uh, cabinet secretaries and he's targeting eight of them when only just a few short years ago it was the Democrats that were saying we needed to move swiftly to approve these cabinet secretaries eight cabinet secretaries were approved for President Obama on day one and now to turn around and say they're going to drag their feet and, and put people through the ringer. I mean, look, it's a frustrating situation. They're very they're, I just they're, want to, I just close. Want to pick up on that. And I think you're seeing some frustration. That's all. I just want to point out, all I want to point out is this. Ted Kennedy borks this guy, says he's going to you know, bring back segregation, says he's going to keep women, put women back in the kitchen. That, that was one of the most appalling speeches ever made. Ted Kennedy, as far as the media cons, is, are concerned, is the, was the lion of the Senate, the great liberal crusader and all this stuff. Donald Trump calls Schumer a clown, and it's a problem. Suddenly, where's the civility? I mean, civility always becomes an issue when Republicans are Uncivil civility was never an issue until Rush Limbaugh came along and started using words like feminazi. Then suddenly, Bill Clinton, one of the a guy with a quick stiletto, uh, a guy who would stick you in the back with a stiletto, you'd be dead before you knew it. Was suddenly, where's the civility? Where's you know, where's the civility? This issue of civility. And listen, I'm in favor of civility. I wish Trump wouldn't do things like this. But but when I see the way that Democrats traditionally have treated appointments and treated Republicans, it doesn't make me shed a single tear to hear them called names, to hear them uh, clubbed over the head like baby seals. I would like to see more of it. <laughs> so, I mean, this is going to be very interesting to see whether these guys can stand up to Trump, who, after all, has destroyed the integrity. I mean, it's really Obama who destroyed the integrity of the media and, and destroyed the credibility of the media. So it's going to be interesting to see whether any of these uh, appointments get stopped. Meanwhile, Barack Obama is preparing to give his farewell speech this very night. Here's a quick preview. <laughs> see, he's, he's a lame duck, see. That's right. <laughs> All right, but, but, you know, Obama has been going around selling his hilarious legacy, which I, I just, some of this stuff is unbelievable. I want to show you a cut of Stephanopoulos and uh, 
George Sukalupagus, basically, this Democrat hack who is le- running a, a news, a major network news division, this Democrat hack running a major network news division. And we're supposed to think like, oh, yeah, it's just the news. It's not slanted. Listen to him taking a walk outside the White House with Barack Obama. So help me. He looks like Tammy talking to Elvis. He looks like a Bobby, you know, one of those girls from the Beatles days, you know, where they scream and these guys. Just watch this. Listen to this interview. This part of the White House is so iconic. It's my favorite. Yeah, this walk. Uh, it, uh, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. Um, in some ways, I feel more uh, attached to this walk even than the Oval Office. I believe it. Yeah, there's something about these steps and thinking about everybody who's walked here <laughs> and all the business that's been done here. And business gets done on this walk. Yes, exactly. And and even when you go up this ramp and you think about FDR wheeling himself up, uh, you know, got a little cigarette holder in his mouth, uh, and it uh, that that awe that you feel, that that uh, reverence that you feel for the place, uh, never entirely. Well, that's- so I had to. We had to cut that because they won't let us show the live sex on the air. But uh, it does devolve into a nude clasp between the two gentlemen, and uh, you know, it's just uh, you know, listen, it's nothing more than what you'd see on Game of Thrones. It was. Um, I am joking about that, by the way. But this is this is the end. This is the end of eight years of press. The press humiliating themselves here from our friends at Newsbusters is just a sliver of some of the stuff you have been listening to for the last eight years. Uh, that is now just continuing. Listen to this. These are all press reports. You can see it in the crowds. The thrill, the hope. How they surge toward him. You are looking at an American political phenomenon. You know, you are the the equivalent of a rock star in politics. Many people afterwards, they weren't sure how to pronounce your name, but they were moved by you. People were crying. You tapped into something. You touched people. I have to tell you, you know, it's it's part of reporting this case of of this election. The feeling most people get when they hear a Barack Obama speech, my, I felt this thrill going up my leg. I mean, I don't have that too often. Steady. No, seriously, it's a dramatic event. He speaks about America in a way that has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with the feeling we have about our country, and, I, and, and that is an objective assessment. On the bus ride along the snowy road to Lebanon, New Hampshire, I showed him this week's Newsweek hot off the presses. How does this feel of all the honors that have come your way, all the publicity? Who does it make you think of? Is there a, is there a loved one? I, I like to say that in some ways, Barack Obama is the first president since George Washington to be taking a step down into the Oval Office. I mean, from a visionary leader of a giant movement, now he's got an executive position that he has to perform in. Really a lot of people, I mean, people from all over the world, frankly, say to me, here comes a president with a huge mandate, a huge reservoir of goodwill, huge promises to change, and with all of that, his popularity is down. People don't uh, appreciate some of the amazing legislative agenda that he's accomplished. When you watch the president like that, I always feel he's got so many pluses, hasn't he? I mean, in the sense, he's personable, he's handsome, he can be funny, you know, abroad he has his, his great image for America. A lot of things are just perfect about Barack Obama. <laughs> 
It's like, that's unbelievable. I love, I love Keith Olbermann telling Chris Matthews to be steady. When, Chris Matthew, when Keith Olbermann is telling you to tone it down, you are way, way out there. You are way gone. The other thing I also love was uh, Brian Anderson, I guess it was, with a Newsweek cover, saying what an honor this is. So it's like the, the media honor you, and then they talk about what an honor it is for the media to honor you. It's all Democrats honoring Democrats. It's just people, like, just this kind of infinite reverb, you know, bonga, 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 bonga. But now, finally, with his hand, if you don't subscribe, you can't watch this, but Suckle Up, because has his cheek on his hand like a girl gazing at George Clooney, you know, and he says, he says, oh, Barack, you know, have you, how, how, how have you succeeded on your own terms? Here it is. But did you succeed on your own terms? Back in the campaign, you talked about Ronald Reagan changing the trajectory of the country, setting on a fundamentally different path. Do you think you did that? I think I did in the sense that there's a whole generation coming up behind us that um, was engaged, inspired, worked uh, for change during the course of my presidency, saw what was possible, and that generation, it's coming. Um, they're not the majority yet, but they're going to be the majority soon. When they, you look at how they how they believe in science, how they care about the environment, uh, how they believe in uh, not discriminating against people for sexual orientation, and you know their belief that uh, we have to work with other countries uh, to create a more peaceful world and, and to alleviate poverty. That's the majority of, of an entire generation that's coming up behind us. So Obama's taking credit for the fact that there are young people, <laughs> that there happen to be idealistic young people, which there are always idealistic young people. I'm going to let the Wall Street Journal answer this. While Reagan left behind, this is from their uh, op-ed page today, while Reagan left behind a calmer, more optimistic country, Mr. Obama leaves a more divided and rancorous one. Who, could, who can argue with that? While the Gipper helped elect a successor to extend his legacy, Mr. Obama will be succeeded by a man who campaigned to repudiate the president's agenda. Barack Obama has been a historic president, but perhaps not a consequential one. Even on their own terms, his achievements look evanescent. Congress has teed up Obamacare for repeal. Donald Trump will erase the climate rules. The Global Climate Pact is built on promises without enforcement. Mr. Trump ran against and won in part on the slow economic recovery. Authoritarians are on the march around the world. The story is in many ways even worse on foreign policy. When Reagan left office, the Soviet Union was in retreat and the Cold War nearing its end. As Mr. Obama leaves office, the gains of the post-Cold War era are being lost as world disorder spreads. The lesson is not that Mr. Obama lacked good intentions or political gifts. Few presidents have entered office with so much goodwill. The lesson is that progressive policies won't work when they abjure the realities of economic incentives at home and the necessity of American leadership abroad. I would have ended that sentence with progressive policies won't work, period. So I got to just end with this. This is the next segment of that uh, Sokolopoulos interview where Obama says, you know, there's the, the, the majority, this new majority is coming up. And... Uh, Sokolopoulos points out that they didn't vote. They didn't turn out to vote. And he hears Obama's excuse. you got to love this. That's the majority of, of an entire generation that's coming up behind us. They didn't come out to vote. Well, you know, they came out to vote for me. And they came out to vote where that uh, spirit was touched 
the next phase, and this is part of what I'm interested in doing after I got out of the presidency, uh, is to make sure that I'm working with that next generation so that uh, they understand uh, you can't just rely on inspiration. Uh, there's a little perspiration involved in bringing about change, too, that you have to be organized, that you have to uh, vote uh, even when it's not exciting. So that feeling that Hillary Clinton just said was a bus running over her as Obama threw her under the bus. So let me just translate that for you. Here's a translation of what he just said. I ran out of gas. I had a flat tire. I, I didn't have enough money for cab fare. My touch didn't come back from the cleaners. An old friend came in from out of town. Someone stole my car. There was an earthquake. A terrible flood. Locust. It wasn't my fault, I swear to God. <laughs> Uh, Belushi should deliver his farewell speech tonight. All right, let's take a quick look at some of the movies that I've been watching that have been coming out. I watched uh, Love and Friendship, which is a an obscure, a Whit Stillman uh, adaptation of an obscure uh, Jane Austen novella named Lady Susan. It may be the only thing of Jane Austen's that I haven't read, besides her juvenilia. I mean, I've just never, I've never read this before. Uh, it's a, a cute movie, Kate Beckinsale showing that she Beckinsale showing that she can act and not just chase vampires around. It, uh, it you know, it's it's really interesting Jane Austen stuff about a widow, a, a widow who kind of conspires, needs to get some money, needs to marry off her daughter, and she's involved in various conspiracies in this high society uh, British world of Regency England. And, um, you know, it's a good movie. It really is a good movie. Wonderful cast, some good direction. But the guy had no money. I'm watching it, and I can just tell from watching it, he had no money to make this thing. There are scenes missing. There are scenes where the other person in the room is, is not shown. Somebody's shown talking through a door because they don't pay the actor to be on the other side of the door. It's just, a, it's just a weirdly cheap film. But it does have some delightful moments. And here is one of them, a, an obscure—I uh, shouldn't say obscure here. He's not that well-known a guy named Tom Bennett plays Sir James Martin, and he is just this idiot that uh, Lady Susan is trying to pawn off on her daughter, and her daughter hates him hates him because he's such a buffoon, and here he is being a buffoon as he enters uh, this house called Churchill. An impressive establishment you have here, sir. My congratulations. Immaculate. Mr. Corsi is Mrs. Vernon's brother. Very good. It's her husband, Charles Vernon, who has Churchill. Churchill? That's how you say it. All together like that. Churchill. <laughs> oh, well, that explains a lot. You see, I'd heard church and hill, but couldn't find either. All I could see was this big house. <laughs> Fine name, Churchill. Marlborough, right? The general showed the French. You must be very proud. No connection. But I believe I have heard it spoken of. I, I think you mentioned it. Churchill. Yes, I think you did. But again, oh, I heard Church and Hill, and I couldn't see either. But I realised I was in mistake, and now stand corrected. 
Uh, it's a great performance, and a lot of delights with it. But I want to use this as a lead-in to stuff I like. I've mentioned it before, but I know that especially guys, guys who read, even guys who read, do not read Jane Austen because they see these movies with the bonnets and the car carriages and all this stuff. Uh, there are many uh, good and great novels written by women, but there is only one woman who is as great as the great male novelists. All right, so I want to make sure I'm clear about this. There are great novels written by women, but there is only one woman who can stand with the Tolstoys and the Dickens and, uh, you know, Dostoevsky and all the, the truly great male novelists who have come along, and that is Jane Austen. She was a great genius, and her uh, genius uh, supersedes the bonnets and the marriage talk and all this. She understood every level of the mating dance that was going on in her world and still in our world. She understood the, the money levels. She understood the cultural level. She understood the class level, the family level, and the, the sexual level. And it's her, her books are absolutely fantastic. Pride and Prejudice, probably still the best. Emma is uh, right up there with it. But I seriously, if you, if you love literature and you haven't read Jane Austen, you really should. She's just terrific. All right. We've got more hearings tomorrow, and we've got um, Barack Obama's farewell speech, and we have the mailbag. So say woohoo. Send, send in your questions. Don't just sit around saying woohoo. Subscribe to The Daily Wire and send in your questions. We will answer them all. It will change your life. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. We'll see you tomorrow.